Did you guys go to bed at a responsible hour? Yeah, me neither. So this is going to be a little unfiltered. Our text this morning is short. It is a single verse. Turn to Ecclesiastes 10.10. 10. It's a good verse. You should memorize it. All right, Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull he do, and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that this time in your word uh, together would give you glory and would build us up. Um, I pray that it would bless all these people, especially those here who are single and wish to be blessed with a husband or a wife. I ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Finding a spouse can be exhausting. It takes a lot of effort and it can certainly wear you out. Um, it's especially hard if you go about it in a unwise way. It's like trying to chop wood with a dull ax. The duller the ax, the harder you must swing. And the harder you swing, the easier it is to make a mistake or injure yourself. John Gill puts it well, he must give a greater blow, strike the harder, and use more force. And yet it may not be sufficient or it may be to no purpose. And he himself may be in the greatest danger of being hurt. As such are who push things with all their might and main without judgment and discretion. But wisdom is profitable to direct. This is the excellency of wisdom, that it puts a man in the right way of doing things and of doing them right. It directs him to take the best methods and pursue the best ways and means of doing things, both for his own good and the good of others, and so it is better than strength. Wisdom multiplies strength. Wisdom is a uh, sharp axe or a sharp blade properly swung. Now yesterday, I told you that we lived in a challenging time to find a spouse, and it is, that is true. But I don't wanna leave you here without giving you some, some wisdom, some strategies and tactics to sharpen your approach. As with uh, wisdom, a lot of times, these are flexible principles and they're not the only principles. Uh, but I do want you to be successful in your venture. Uh, and there is a mindset that will greatly help you as you approach tactics and strategies, especially as they relate to self-improvement. I always see Christians uh, criticizing self-improvement, which is, what, we want like the lack of improvement or like, so if it's, if, if it's just focused on self, yes, but if it's, uh, applying yourself for the glory of God and growing in areas. It's a good thing. We should seek to want to grow. And a lot of people are, are not married and it's their fault, right? Um, and things that are your fault are, are things that you can usually address, and that's good. And so I want to talk about some of the attributes and tactics you can work on, but there's a way that this can be bad, and I don't want that to happen. And the way to keep it from being bad is something I call shaking out in the mix. And let me explain what I mean by that. I have two close friends uh, who both have ran recording studios. One was very successful and the other wasn't at all. Um, they both charged by the hour when they started. Uh, my successful friend wasn't tripped up by there being some shortcomings in the individual tracks. You record all these tracks and then you mix them together. Uh, he knew that the shortcomings would not be noticeable or matter that much when all the tracks were mixed together. They would shake out, right? So he could, he could get through things quick and he wouldn't um, spend all that time uh, on each track. But my other friend would, and he was very talented. He has an incredible ear and it's amazing what he can hear. Maybe it was working against him uh, because he would obsess over each individual track. And uh, he wanted them to be perfect and he spent a lot of time tinkering with each track. Now, when you're working, you know, by the hour, that's not good, okay? You're not gonna make much money. And uh, he didn't, and uh, so it took him forever to get the mix done, and it wasn't profitable at all, and his business closed. And uh, you can't obsess over individual tracks. It'll, it'll slow you down, it'll trip you up. And so as you consider these things, everyone thinks they're looking for this um, formula right, the step-by-step -step perfect formula you have to the master. Think of it more as like um, an algorithm or, 
or just a stew. You're just trying to mix it together the best you can and improve where you can. So don't, don't get weird. Don't go all Aspergian on me here and obsess over like one little variable. Uh, just grow somewhere, you know, uh, sharpen your ways where you can to the best of your ability and focus on action. Everyone thinks that, um, <clears throat> that you have to have a plan before you do something. You, you have to kind of have a plan, a direction, right? Like, like with this sermon. Um, anyhow, uh, <laughs> but I have, a, I have six tactics for you that I'm going to throw your way and pick one or two and get to it. Tactic number one on finding a spouse is work on becoming the sort of spouse that people want to find. This is my, my, my whole purpose in the world is to say obvious things. So somehow it's worked. Uh, so here, how do you do that? You increase your attractiveness. Attractive people are pretty good at getting married, you know. So my thesis on attraction is pretty simple. Mankind is driven to fulfill the creation mandate, which is to be fruitful and multiply. It's what we're designed for. Therefore, both sexes are attracted to sex-specific attributes that are central to doing this, to finding in a mate that which they lack in themselves so they can fulfill the work for which uh, they were made. Women know, well, let me put it this way even simpler. Uh, women are attracted to masculine men. Men are attracted to feminine women. And women know that their desirability is deeply tied to the external beauty. They know that. If they did not, uh, the cosmetics and fashion industries would scarcely exist because no one would spend that much uh, money on such things. You think guys are picky about women's appearance. I, I hear how you talk about each other, right? Like, guys, we make insults, we don't make, uh, mean it. Women make compliments, and they don't mean it, right? So this is the tension. But women know that part of the way they're viewed in the world um, and desired is on how they look, how they present their, their beauty. Men, on the other hand, um, know that, um, that their desirability is deeply tied to their ability to perform, to get things done. And if they did not know that, uh, the sports and uh, hardware industries would scarcely exist for the same reason. I remember hearing, uh, uh, is it Vadi or Vodi? Vadi, right? I've been saying it wrong to his face even. Um, but I remember him saying, uh, criticizing that guys were being judged by the bill, the, let's see, the bedroom, the billfold, and, uh, and the, like the game field, right? But that is how guys are, their ability to get things done, to perform. And if that's turned to a godly purpose, you know, the, the ability to uh, sweep a woman off her feet, love her, um, attract a beautiful woman to you, uh, actually out in, in the battlefield. That's really what sports are, right? It's ritualized warfare to get things done. And then in business to actually produce resources. Guys know that's how we look at uh, we're desired. And here's how you know. If you ask, a, if your guy says, guy friend says, I got a new girlfriend, you say, oh, let me see a picture, right? And, and girls will do the same thing, but they'll also say, what does he do for a living, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, rarely is that the first question a guy asks about, your, your new girlfriend, oh, what's your career? That's not on our mind. If she's pretty and a barista, she's still pretty. Um, but uh, so men want beautiful women and women want strong men, right? So it's a beauty that's not just external, it's internal, it's a strength that's not just external, it's internal, all those things. But these are kind of the general direction in which we're measured, beauty and strength. And we often resent being measured up according to standards, right? We do, and I think it's uh, connected to the curse, that the whole world's under curse and has been since Genesis 3. And uh, beauty and strength fade. Uh, that makes the need for each sex to maintain these attributes a burden. Right? It, gets, it gets hard. You know, the, the amount of time women put into figuring out how, how to hide wrinkles is amazing to me. Um, I've learned about that, and I was like, that is intense. My wife was talking to me about this woman's routine that kept popping up in her social media feed. And it was, like, it was like 45 minutes, right? 45 minutes, I have gotten dressed. That was 30 seconds. Um, like, I've made coffee. I'm out the door and doing things. And, and that chick is still home on, like, step number two. Um, right? That's a burden. 
It's also a burden, you know, for men to just try to keep up with uh, all the financial concerns, man, uh, managing a house. Like, I bought a new house, and I had all these wonderful things I was going to do to it, and then things just keep breaking. Like, I fixed this thing. It's like whack-a-mole in my house. Um, but it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And we, we get weaker because we're dying. We are dying. That is what's happening to us. And as years go by, the outer beauty and strength will fade, and you'll mostly be left with the inner beauty and strength. That's all you'll have. And that, uh, that's why our outer um, must correlate to the inner, both for men and women. Remember, externally speaking, we start out as grapes, but we end as raisins, okay? <laughs> you ever notice that men and women, like babies, they, like, is it a boy or a girl? Can you just put pink or blue on it so I know what's going on here? Um, but people at the end of their life kind of look the same too, right? I, uh, hello, ma'am? Uh, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, that's because you're dying. You're, uh, the, 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 the amount of testosterone, estrogen, all that stuff is like leveling out. And, um, and you're dying. And you want to be sure you're with someone at the end that is beautiful in the way that matters most. But God is the one that made women beautiful. And God is the one who made men strong. And to depreciate these things is to diminish the design of God. They're good things, and they do matter. And so you want to work at um, growing in what the other sex finds attractive. This is finding a spouse, right? That's important. But in, um, in marriage, it's important to keep your marriage uh, good, right? Keep it strong. Like, if you lost 20 pounds, if, like, if I lost at least that much, you know, it's one of the goals um, for us, is I love my wife, and she loves me, but when we are in better shape, the sparks fly all the more, okay? And working on this, even in your own marriage, these things would be good for you. So let's talk about what men tend to be attracted to in women. Number one, curves. Men like curves. Curves, especially in the right places. You can have too many curves, um, but they like breasts and hips and thighs and butts. Why? Uh, these things are related in one way or another to a woman's sexual maturity, right? She's no longer a child, she's grown into a woman, and her overall healthiness. And they're also associated with her ability to bear and nurture children, to be fruitful and multiply, right? Now, uh, that's not just my opinion. Everyone knows that. But we live in a dumb time. I always want to call it a retarded time, but it's an offensive word, so I can't say it. Um, but I have to prove this with Scripture, right? I have to prove this with Scripture. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Men want this to be their life verse. What's your life verse? Right? <laughs> Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. Um, what's that? I'd rather not say. <laughs> but, um, but Scripture is very obvious about this, right? They, they celebrate the, the beauty of women, or all the books do. I was looking at Solomon, Song of Solomon. I didn't want to go down that track, but he, um, I love how he compliments her. Because I don't know if you guys seen that meme of what the woman looks like that Solomon's like. She's got like this long neck and nose. <laughs> but he, he's also, he calls her breasts um, fawns. And you can, guys know what that means, uh, but maybe women do. Uh, but yeah, we like curves. That, and women are beautiful to us. They're beautiful. It's, it's delightful. It's like a beautiful painting. Even when I came here, I was really impressed with the architecture. It's beautiful. I want to look at it. And you can look at it uh, in a right way, especially with a wife, right? Husbands want to delight in their wives' bodies. They are, they are lovely and intoxicating. So here's two steps to how you can um, become more attractive in this area to men. One is pursue health, right? Pursue health. Are warts sexy, Right? How about, about varicose veins? Or missing an eye, right? Does that do something for you? 
Um, well, it's not, and here's why that's not sexy. It's because it's death, and we're not supposed to die. We're supposed to live forever, right? When the priest, you couldn't have a priest missing an eye in the temple, because the temple is life, right? It's, it's the Garden of Eden. It's going back there. It's a picture of a, a fellowship with God forever. Health is attractive because we're meant to live forever. And now we're all dying, though, right? We're all dying, so we all have things we want to work on and, um, and ask, like, do I think that's beautiful? Well, work on your health. Pursue health. Instead of, like, trying to become very some weird specific area, just get in better shape, right? Treat yourself better. Drink more water, right? If you, if you got coffee-stained teeth, which at this stage of my life I do, um, a little baking soda will go a long way. But work on be, being beautiful. Celebrate what God's made you. Don't be ashamed of it. So that's number one. Pursue health. And there's lots of different ways to go about it. The particulars don't matter. But it's more of a direction, too. Instead of, like, trying to get to this specific weight or whatever, like, point towards, like, I want to be more healthy. I want to uh, celebrate the gift that God's given me in my body. Secondly, dress modestly. Right? Women need to think about how they dress. So do men, but I'm talking to you right now. Um, so uh, in Scripture, uh, Paul says, Likewise, I, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Clothing is a form of communication. It says something about us. This says that I'm going to get a plane not long after this session. Um, that's what this says. But for example, the Babylonian uh, warriors that surrounded Nineveh were decked out in scarlet. Why were, they, why were they wearing scarlet? Well, here's what one commentator says. The valiant men are in scarlet, not only red clothes to uh, intimate what bloody work they're designed to make, but rich clothes to intimate the wealth of the army, and that is the sinews of war. It isn't just warriors that use clothing to communicate. The wealthy often dressed in, a, in a, such a way to communicate their power and prestige. So Luke 7, 25. The, the penitent often dressed in such a way to communicate their humility and grief over sin. Right? They're, they're sitting in ashes. They're in rags. The royal virgin daughters dressed in such a way to communicate their purity or in one very sad case, their loss of it. If you think of Amnon and his sister. What does the immodest woman communicate with her clothing? She communicates that she's broken, messed up, that she's dangerous. She's like a brightly colored snake, beautiful to look at, deadly to touch. Now, I know people will want me to lay out some standards for, uh, for what's immodest and modest. They're always looking for like a style guide, you know. Um, but Paul, Paul does it a little bit. He says, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. And I take this to be at odds with the principle being laid, I don't take this to be at odds with the principle being laid down. It's, it's not really about a specific application, but it was like, I think that was very much contextual to where they're at. And, and so it's, it's not wise, I think, to give style guides. Like, I, I've heard people like, it's this many inches from your ankle or whatever. There's, um, there's a Christian college where you had to cover your elbows. Uh, it's down in Florida. And I was like, why? Well, because they look like breasts. You're like, I don't know where you've been, man. But, <laughs> but so when I was around those people, I, I too covered my elbows. <laughs> I felt, felt uncomfortable. Um, but here's a, um, immodest clothing is clothing that makes a person, in this case, a woman, into a spectacle. This spectacle could come in the form of too much, or too little, right, or too tight. It makes her sexuality scream. It's clothing or makeup that accentuates aspects of her sexuality to such an extent that it is hard to ignore. Modest clothing doesn't hide a woman's sexuality. It is never a good sign when a woman is ashamed of her, her, of her curves, of her womanliness. Um, that as a pastor, when you see that, that is usually uh, hints at abuse, where a woman's hiding behind really baggy clothing, something's happened. Um, it's... Well, well, here. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, I was at a concert some years ago, 
and uh, there was a Christian singer up on stage singing. My wife loved her, and I said, that is a lesbian. And she said, what are you talking about? That woman, there is something going on with her. And what I noticed about her, she wore really baggy clothes, and all her long hair covered her face, and she had this kind of masculine gait about her. And I saw someone that had been abused. That's how I read it at that time. And everyone was so mad at me when I said that. And, <clears throat> and now I learned just to keep most of those things in my head. But, um, <clears throat> but 10 years later, she came out as, as a lesbian and, and she had been sexually abused. And I could tell that her breasts, her curves had made her a target for a predator. And she had to hide it. That's why she was hiding it, right? Because she had to. She didn't want to be hurt again. It's never a good sign in my, uh, in my uh, experience where a woman's made to be ashamed of her body. A, a woman's um, clothing should sign her sex. Think of it as sound. I think this is helpful, okay? Think of a, of a beautiful song. If you turn it all the way down, you can't hear it. If you turn a beautiful song up all the way, you can't enjoy it, it hurts, it hurts your ears. It actually gets static going, okay? That is, that's how modesty works, it's like volume. You're always trying to figure out the volume and that requires wisdom and Christians hate wisdom. They hate discernment, they want rules. They say they don't, but tell me if I'm in or out. Well, I'm not going to, but I'm gonna tell you that a quality man is looking for a woman that loves being a woman, right? Women uh, that aren't ashamed of their beauty and just fill your life with beauty is something to be celebrated. A man's looking for that. She embraces her femininity. She isn't ashamed of her curves, her lips, her hair, but she also possesses the godly character to display her beauty at the right volume. So, work, pursue health, work on uh, modesty. The other thing that guys really like is responsiveness. Men like a woman that favorably responds to their leadership. And that's because part of our job is to be out in front, right? We, we bear a lot of responsibility. With that responsibility comes authority. And you want someone that trusts you, that likes you, that's going to respond to your leadership. I think uh, that makes sense. Adam was made first, given a mission, and then Eve was brought to him as a helpmate, a helper fit to him. So it makes sense that um, that's what men are looking for. It doesn't mean that they're looking for a doormat. Uh, it simply means that they're attracted to an attitude which is necessary for the work of establishing and growing a household. And that's what they're looking for. Someone that, I, I like that my wife has uh, thoughts about her decisions, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that I, I think I've made one or two decisions in my life where she disagreed and I said, no, we're doing this. But if my wife disagrees, she's my helpmate. She loves me more than anyone. And she's in this with me, right? Like, if, if I go down, she's going down with me. So if she's got that question, I'm like, all right, like, what is she talking about? And I'll pause and go back. Um, but she's not always questioning every decision. She follows me. She trusts me. She loves me. And uh, so how do you grow in responsiveness, especially with the guy you like? Uh, bat your eyes. Um, guys are insecure, okay? Ladies, you don't know this. You don't know that um, the guy that you like is, is scared of you, especially nowadays, and if you have a guy that you're interested, that you think is a good guy, let him know that you like him. Like I say, bat your eyes. I don't, there's all sorts of ways. Um, you can always tell when a girl likes a guy when she laughs at his stupid jokes, right? Like the jokes are not funny at all, but she likes them and they're funny to her, you know? And me and my wife laugh at jokes and, um, and they seem hilarious. We're like, we should write sitcoms. And I'm sure they're just dumb and we love each other, right? Um, so laugh at his jokes. Ask him about his life. Uh, become interested in him. Be responsive. Uh, guys are looking for that. And then uh, a third thing is beautifying industry. You know, a woman, we want competent women. That's not what usually draws a guy to a woman right away. It's usually her external beauty and then next her personality. But that's, those are like first, second, third, fourth dates. In terms of actually deciding on someone as a spouse, you do need to 
look at a woman, can she get things done? Is she capable? Men do respect capable women. Men are not after a woman with a career, though, because they don't want to compete with her. But I think a lot of guys, when they say women shouldn't be careerists, that the direction they take that is that women just have to know how to, like, I guess, cook and clean or something. Uh, it's great if you know how to cook and clean and manage a house. But there's so much more to building a productive household than all of that. And I, I'm thankful that I have a wife that's um, productive. That's what her name means, actually, industry. I got her this little uh, card, you know, those bookmarks you used to get in Christian bookstores with their name. And I gave it to her as her brother in Christ, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> please marry me. Um, but, <clears throat> but I gave that to her. She still has it in her Bible. And, um, and I did not know how true that would be, become. You know, uh, we've got seven kids. Uh, we have way too many chickens and six cats, dogs, a farm. We've got a church. Uh, I travel a whole lot. Uh, she makes it all possible. She's, she's on top of everything. It's incredible. And one way a guy, a guys will start to notice this in you, uh, think of knitting, right? A woman that can knit mittens, that's kind of cute in its own way. But also women knit relationships together. They're, they're always pulling people in. They practice hospitality. And a woman that knows how to be hospitable, that knows how to um, uh, create an atmosphere, that's really what a woman does at home. She takes a house, a building, right, and makes it into a home. It's an atmosphere, it's a sanctuary, it's a place of peace. It's a place of, of um, both productivity, but also of rest. And a, a competent woman that has the ability to be industrious and create beauty in her home is a woman that it will be desired. A, a woman is a multiplier. That's exactly what she is. If you look at Proverbs 31, she has her husband's money, and she takes that money and she makes more. Right? She buys land. Think of it, even in the creation of a human being, she takes very little from a man and makes a person. Uh, the husband brings home flour and she makes bread. Like a, a woman will multiply a man's efforts. It's amazing. Her husband gives her seeds, she gives him a child. Her husband gives her resources, she makes him a home. Her husband gives her his strength and she makes it stronger all the more, right? So how, how to grow there? Uh, just develop skills. Right? I've seen these patriarchal homes with like these 29-year-old girls. You know, they're women really, but they, they're like girls. They've somehow stalled out because they have to be under their father's headship. And that means never getting a job and almost always being home or having some sort of part-time job. And, and these girls have not turned into the woman that they need to be. You want to marry a woman, a woman, a mature woman, a competent woman. She doesn't have to have it all figured out but you want a woman that has the ability to get things done, that's smart. They're, they're gonna raise your children. They're, they're gonna, uh, behind every king is a godly mother. Who, uh, in Proverbs 31, who's speaking to this future king? It's his mother. And so you need a wise woman, a woman that has skills and all that. So curves, responsiveness, beautifying industry, you can think about it as, as health and skills and a delightful attitude. What do women want? This goes both ways. It's, you can rest now. It's, all right, so we'll talk to your husband. Women find masculine man attractive, and a masculine man possess three key attributes. There's others, but one is fitness and tallness, right? Women are attracted to physically fit and comparatively tall, taller men. About 14% of men want to date a, a woman shorter than themselves. They don't usually think about it. But with women, it's at least 50% say they want to date a taller guy. And so what's that all about? That, and that's cross-cultural, and that's been known for a long time. It's a very strange thing. Why would a woman want to, to be with a taller man? What does that have to do with anything? Well, in most studies, what it just shows is they associate it with him being powerful and strong. Make, he makes her feel safe. Um, and that makes sense to me because when a woman has a man's child, she's very vulnerable when she's pregnant. And, you know, you have this baby, and, um, you know, it's incredible how strong women's arms get. You know, I don't, guys, you ever hold a baby, and your arm gives out, like, after, like, 20 minutes? But somehow women, like, carry babies all day long, and they're, like, got, like, a pan on this foot, and they're doing all this stuff. Um, they're very vulnerable, and they, they're looking for someone that can protect them, that they can trust their life with. 
And that's a, basically, it's a, it's a marker that demonstrates that power. Now, you guys will say, I think that's um, superficial. It's hilarious when you talk to guys. It's superficial that I'm being judged on my height. Well, she's being judged on her curves, okay? Right, this is going both ways. And, but there's a substance to that form that they're looking for. That's what you're after, which is, is, uh, is power and safety. Women like dangerous men. They do. Uh, it's it's it, and sometimes outside of Christ, it's really disturbing. Like the number of women that wrote love letters to Ted Bundy, like the, it was incredible. And how do you explain that? Well, I think there's what they're looking for is someone that is dangerous in a good sense, someone that can protect them. And so, guys, what should you do? Um, well, get powerful, get dangerous, get in shape yourself. I had this guy call me up and said he was having marriage problems. And I said, okay, what's going on? Not in my church, somewhere else. And uh, he said, I'm not attracted to my wife anymore. And I said, okay, has she gained a lot of weight? Is that what this is about? And he said, yes. And I said, so are you like fat? And he said, what? I said, are you fat? Um, <laughs> like, when you look at yourself in the mirror, how do you feel? Uh, do you, like, wince a little bit? And he's like, I've put some weight on. I said, so you're fat. Um, <laughs> uh, let's call a spade a spade, man. And, um, and I said, look, yeah, I, I get it. Uh, why don't you, though, lead the way by example? Lead the way. And a couple years ago, uh, I, I lost a bunch of weight, and uh, I just wanted to do it to, to be healthier and feel better. Um, and uh, I came home, and I'd run a mile, or two miles, actually, this actually had the name, It's Good to Be Man, happen. I would run two miles, and the one-mile marker, where there was a uh, mailbox that said the Goodmans. And I would always think, yeah, it is good to be a man. <laughs> and I'd turn back around. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but I, I ran no matter what. I'd run in thunderstorms, tornado warnings, none of it mattered to me. I just decided I'm going to do this one way or another. And um, so then I lost like 35, 40 pounds, something like that, and just felt a lot better. And... Uh, and then my wife said, hey, is it okay if I run with you? I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so we started running together every, every day, like Monday through Friday. And uh, we would talk about life, whatever. And it was about 20 minutes. It was more of a jog. And I, I find that you will lead the way in your marriage when you start to do those things. And then when you exhort them to take their health more serious, you're not a hypocrite, right? It's not that you got the speck out of your eye. It's that um, you got the belly off your belt, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, so, yeah, but also, I, I think it's really good for men to um, be into martial arts, be into boxing, be into sports. Uh, I'm not a gun guy, I, uh, but I think learning to be dangerous, what's the thing that will protect us from dangerous men, bad dangerous men, good dangerous men, right? Make a woman feel safe. Uh, she wants to know if there's a bump in the night that she doesn't have to come save you, all right? So <clears throat> fitness is what you're after. Work on practical strength. And uh, remember, like, young men are known for their strength throughout Scripture. Strength is celebrated if it's pointed in the right way. Secondly, women look for a man that's uh, resourceful. So guys get um, upset about gold diggers, women that are just looking for money. Uh, but... The reason they're attracted to a man with resources is they want to know that they will be well provided for if they give their body to birthing and raising children. That takes resources, right? That's hard work. They want to know that, that you're going to be able to take care of them. And so uh, that's why they're attracted to guys that have stuff. And it's because he looks like a guy that can provide. Why would it be wrong for women to be attracted to a provider? That's it's crazy. Now, that can, uh, you can objectify a man in a bad way, just like you can objectify a woman, but there's a good desire there. And I'd say, look, guys, uh, do you guys know who Red Green is? Here, you know, they, if women don't find you a handsome, let them at least find you handy, right? The one way to, to practice this is to learn to fix things around the house, right? Be able to uh, get things done around your house and take care of stuff. Show them that you're resourceful when there's something uh, that's not working, that you're the one that can get it done. And the crazy thing is when you start fixing things, it feels awesome. Right? You know, like no one's good at fixing things, at least not naturally when they start out. 
And I, uh, I've been fixing things on my house. I'm not mechanically inclined. My, my power in this, or place in this world is just demo. I'm good at breaking things. So if you need something ripped down, I can help you. If you need it uh, repaired, uh, I, I got a number for a guy. So, but uh, learning to actually get those things done. It's interesting that, that women uh, are more attracted to men that do the masculine chores around the house than they are men that do this, the, the uh, historically feminine, you know, like dishes is this big argument with everybody. But uh, I think that's because they're looking for a guy that can help manage the big, hard things out there. And so they're looking for a resourceful guy. Also learn to make money. Money is great. It's very helpful. Everything seems to cost money wherever I go. And women want to know that they can be provided for. And so uh, develop the skills, learn how to be um, uh, profitable. God makes a rich the hands of the diligent. So it, work on diligence. Learn to be resourceful. Uh, don't resent a woman wanting to know that you can take care of them. Women will, and I'll mention this in a second, they will see your trajectory. It does, you don't have to have tons of money, but they want to know where you're going somewhere. That gets me to the third thing, is they find confidence and ambition very attractive. They, they, they're attracted to confident and assertive men. They want someone that commands their respect and the respect of others. They're looking for a man that's worthy of their devotion. They're looking for a competent leader who's going somewhere. Looks matter for women, but a man with ambition uh, matters big time. This is why nice guys finish last. Uh, and while sometimes jerks get the girl, uh, the nice guy thinks he should make the woman his focus. Uh, he puts her on a pedestal, which means he de uh, demotes his mission in favor of hers. So he makes his whole life, builds his life around her. The jerk doesn't do that. Uh, he's attractive not because he abuses her, but because he has an independent drive that supersedes her. He has a mission, and she's either with it or not, and he's not changing. Subconsciously, no woman wants the burden or stress of being a man's center. She doesn't want to be his whole world. She wants to be part of where, what they're building together. She wants to be beside him. She doesn't want to be his whole focus. She wants to be looking towards the thing that they're doing together, the thing they're building together. That's what she wants to be part of. She knows at a deep level it would make them both miserable because she knows herself. She cannot help despising a man who would settle for a mediocre vision. She wants to help him work towards something greater than both of them, not watch passively as he works for something no bigger than herself. She's looking to be part of a bigger world. That's why we always, I always tell guys to have their mission first. And by mission, I just mean using the gifts that, and opportunities that God's given you to bring him glory. You know, don't make your whole life about getting married. I have had a guy recently tell me, I told him, hey, you need to get working on your vocation and, and figure out what you're going to be, what you're going to do. And he said, well, I want to get married first. And I was like, well, I, that's, that, that's the, the cart before the horse right here. That's not the right way. And he said, well, I think it'll drive me to want to get my vocation figured out. And I said, so if you get a woman, then you'll start to desire to be a man? Is that what I'm hearing here? And that's exactly what he was saying. And you should want to develop a mission, know where you're going. The takeaway here, though, isn't to be a jerk. Men are commanded in Scripture to be kind and humble, but absolutely driven, driven. What I see in a lot of young men that concerns me most is the lack of ambition. Now, ambition can be a bad word when it's for your own glory. If you're like Cain, building a, a city and naming it after yourself. But ambition is not bad when it's in the service of the Lord. It's a godly ambition to desire to be an elder in God's church. And we need men that want to get things done, build things. That not only attracts potential spouses, but it actually works as a filtering system. Marrying me means joining me in this work. And if you won't join me, then this won't work. Before I, I, I mentioned this uh, last night, uh, that's why I told Emily that. I told her that uh, I like you, I want to get to know you, but you need to know that I have this call to the ministry. I, I'm, I'll be hated because of sermons like this one. Uh, probably poor and away from home a lot. And if that's a problem, it won't, it won't work. And that was April 24th, 4th, 1999, and uh, we are happy, and it, it's, it's got its bumps, but our marriage is an oasis. It's a wonderful thing, and it's because 
we work together. You know, we, we build these things together. And so you want to have some ambition, guys. What are you doing in your, your vocation? You want to be a YouTube streamer? Is that what you want to be, young men? They're losers. You know that, right? <laughs> They're losers. Uh, and the good ones are marketers that play games. They don't get play, uh, paid to play games. They get paid to make you like them so they can sell you T-shirts that are cheap. I know because I had to buy one for my son. <laughs> But that learn, develop skills. I have a desire to go somewhere. Um, to reiterate, figuring out your mission isn't a silver bullet uh, to finding a wife, but it's a place to start. So what, how do you develop there? Step up at work. Ask for promotions. Or stay extra hours at church. Look for places you can serve. Look for uh, places that you can be stretched. Get involved in your community. Work at becoming a leader, becoming competent, becoming the sort of person that, um, that folks want to follow. Women tend to uh, respect men who are respected by other men. That's, uh, status is a deep part of female attraction that's different from male attraction. Men um, are not looking for high-status women uh, in the same way that women are uh, for, for men. And that's contextual to where you're at. So it might be the to, to use kind of a, a rough example, it might be a quarterback in high school, but it, it might be the professor in college because they have status that's very attractive to a, to a woman. All these things weigh differently, and we all have different things that we're attracted to. So don't think of this as some sort of uh, mold you have to fit into. Um, I know a lot of people that I don't find attractive, but they love each other, and they're into each other, and I, I'm sure that's the same in towards me or my wife or whatever. So don't just grow in these areas and, and work at attract, uh, being attractive. Now, um, how much time I got? All right. Step tactic two, uh, see a lot of people. That will help you uh, find a spouse. Like meet and see a lot of people. And I think you should date a whole lot of people. And I mean date in an old sense of the word. Just not casual sex, nothing like that. Just spend time together in a public place to get to know someone. If there, is there some sort of chemistry? And I know that runs contrary to a lot of the advice coming from the courtship world. Um, I just think the model is very difficult where there is a lot of broken families. Fathers are often absent. Parents have ungodly goals for their children. And delayed maturation has greatly decreased the availability of good spousal candidates. I think a lot of people, when we talk about dating, we imagine two 18-year-olds sitting on a, a, a porch swing in front of the house of one of their parents, and they are, have good dads and they're in good churches. Uh, because of the situation we're in, a lot of people are dating, that, that are dating, or looking for a spouse or well into their 20s, and it's just not exactly what people think. But I'm not against that. If you have those things, um, it's good. Uh, to, you obviously want your parents involved. You want your a church community involved. As, as much as possible, you don't want to fall into the way of world, but you do need to get out there and meet a lot of people, figure out um, if, if this is the one for you and, and, and kind of, I guess, play the field in a godly sense. I see th basically three major stages that happen in the journey from being an acquaintance to engage for modern Christians. And the stages are interested but not exclusive. That's a great stage, just knowing a lot of people getting to know them, figuring out what they're about, whether you like them. Um, sometimes what I'm scared of or I, I'm concerned about in some of the, our approaches is that we take two people that don't know each other and we put them in an, a, a formal, official relationship. And, and, it, and maybe one date is all it would take to say, this isn't going to work, right? But now they're together as an item of some sort. I think that puts a lot of pressure on both, both people. And it drags it out in a, in a way that's not, that's not wise. So interested but not exclusive. Interested and exclusive. So dating or courting, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. And then engaged. Those are the three stages you go through. So interested but not exclusive. This is where interest towards pos the possibility of something more than mere friendship has been made either explicitly or implicitly. You might grab coffee or go to an event together. Uh, this may be one time. It may be several times, but the intensity is low, real low. It's more about getting to know, uh, getting to know you. It's that sort of phase than anything else. Is there something here? Is there chemistry? Uh, is this mutual? 
is this a possible candidate for marriage? Um, I, I, I dated a girl for like two days, and we're like, ah, we're friends. <laughs> like, I, we, I wasn't even a Christian yet, and it was just very awkward. And we realized that we liked each other, but we just liked each other, and we didn't like each other romantically. And there's a lot of people you can be very friendly with, but uh, putting that intensity on it that, that points it towards a romantic direction when that's not going to happen and you're dragging out the inevitable is not, is not often that good. Um, so I don't see any need for that to be formal or exclusive. You can be seeing multiple people in this sense at a lot of time. It's not dating in the sense where it's an official relationship. It's just getting to know someone and talking to someone. The key is that you don't lead someone on. Uh, if uh, it isn't there, you back out. Generally, well, let me skip that. The second stage is interested uh, and exclusive. This is where mutual interests, gen uh, general shared commitments and chemistry has been established. You like each other. The question being asked is if this could be a marriage candidate. Um, but, excuse me, the question being asked is if they could be a marriage candidate, and if that's been established, uh, that they are the candidate, then you move forward and you stop seeing other people. It's exclusive. Um, and you can dial up the intensity. Here you're d uh, diving deeper on things. What is his, her family like? You really want to get to know their family. Do um, they like you? Does the family like you? In-laws are a pretty intense um, part of marriage, especially later in life that'll come up. Uh, is it a total mess, their family? Uh, how much in common do you have, not just in the general issues, but secondary issues? Is he crazy controlling? If he's really controlling during the dating relationship of all your time and everything, that's, that's concerning. Uh, does he have emotional control? Is he just a dreamer? Is he a doer? Is she disrespectful? Does she talk bad about her parents? Is she unwilling to follow a man's lead in even the smallest things? Does she desire motherhood? Does she have a lot of debt? Can he provide? You're figuring those things out. It's an important stage. Uh, therefore, I think consulting your parents before becoming exclusive is, is always advised. But I don't know that it's always required. Uh, it just kind of depends on your stage of life. The younger you are, the sooner you want them in. Your mom and dad want you to be in a happy marriage. It all comes down to age, life stage, and your family relationships. Stage three is engaged. This is where you have mutually established that as far as you are both concerned, you are the candidate for each other. Um, I, and this is like moving towards engagement, I should say. It's not that you're actually engaged. When you're getting ready to get engaged, you want the broader approval of the community, your parents, church. You want your friends. Your friends, if you have a good girlfriend in your life, non-romantically, listen to what she thinks about the girl you're, you're, you're dating or courting. Like, those people are super helpful. Uh, women sniff out bad women really quick. Men sniff out bad men really quick. That's an asset to you, and, and you want them to be for you. If they're against that relationship, that should lead you to hit the brakes. So those are the three stages I see. I think that can work both, both with courtship or if you're like, like me and my wife. We came from broken homes. Yes, we had, they were married at the time, uh, but they weren't Christian. And there, were, there was a time where uh, my wife was pressured to go on birth control, even though we were not having sex and we had no intention, we feared God, uh, we didn't do that. So sometimes when the parents are involved, it is actually a more destructive thing. We're not all coming from the same background, but those three stages have to happen. You have to find people you're interested in, move into exclusive, uh, a more exclusive stage where you're getting to know each other deeply, and then you want the approval of your community. Tactic three. These are the last three are pretty quick. Uh, interested is interesting. When you go on dates, be interested in the person in front of you. Don't just talk the whole time, right? Just listen and take interest in them and uh, be interested in the world around you. A lot of, a lot of dating uh, doesn't go well because folks just, they don't have much to share. And what I, what I see happen a lot of times is tactic four is they don't have fun. You should have fun. Uh, it's not an interview. I, I see this happening a lot right now where you sit down like, how many kids do you want to hear or have? And um, what's your view on this sacrament and that sacrament? Hey, that's a killer date, man. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, but have fun, right? Go bowling. I, I, would, I would advise against, in general, the coffee shop where you're staring at each other. That's very intense. You know, go, go to the farmer's market. 
go bowling, go do something where you're uh, spending time getting to know each other and letting the conversation happen naturally so you can figure out um, if this is a person that you're interested in. And you know what? If, if you're not and they're not, you had a good time. And it was good. And you can walk away with them as a, as a brother and sister in Christ and realizing this wasn't, uh, that's all this is. Tactic five. Uh, this is a big one. Catch them on their way up. It's ideal to catch someone on their way up. In other words, to get them while they're still unfinished but have demonstrated potential. Generally speaking, you become the complete package in marriage, not before it. You want to get people that are, have the right trajectory. <laughs> Guys don't have tons of money when they're young, right? No one, no one will give it to us. We have to work hard. To get, you know, like, can I have some? I have to work for it. Okay. Um, a woman doesn't have it all figured out. Uh, so one guy told me, he was like, I feel like she's kind of immature for 19. And then he described a lot of things to me. I was like, yeah, it's a normal 19-year-old, <laughs> you know. And I look at pictures of Emily and I, and I think, oh, my goodness, look at us. We look like little kids. Um, we were very young. And, but we've, we saw where each other was going. And now it's like, it's like the tree that grows around like the fence. You ever seen that? I don't know where she ends and I begin anymore. Um, I can't surprise her with any jokes. She always knows my punchline before I get there. Um, but catch them on their way up. Finnish spouse uh, candidates don't really exist because someone else had the good sense to put a ring on it while they're still unfinished. And they grew together in marriage. So you, you want to get someone while they're on, on that way. Look for demonstrated potential. They don't have to have all these things figured out, but are they going in the right direction? So... Those are five ways to sharpen your axe, is grow, work, work towards uh, becoming attractive uh, in all those ways, both physically and externally. Uh, be wise in how you meet people, meet a lot of people. These events are great for that. I love that this is happening. You're seeing all the other people out there in our sister churches and, and getting to meet folks and realize that, hey, there's a lot of people out there. You don't have to marry the first girl or first guy that gives you attention in youth group at your church, okay? Um, I'm sending my son somewhere because I'm like, there are some godly girls out there, and I just want him to know that there's other girls out there. He's going to go do an internship somewhere, and I want to see him the opportunities that are out there. So see, see people, get to meet people, go to these sort of conferences, uh, learn to be interested in God's world, uh, have fun when you're on these dates and get to know the person and let the seriousness come out of it naturally. And then whoever you're going to marry, it's best to catch them on their way up. So there you go. There's five ways to sharpen your axe and swing with some success. Where do you start? Anywhere. Just get at it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your mercy. It's amazing that uh, any of us find anyone. But Lord, in your, in your providence, you, you bring a man and woman together. And, uh, and in their love, you, you build a household through them. Thank you for this, God. God, help us to take our own, our own spiritual state and the management of our body seriously before you. Lord, I pray, help us to be a good spouse. Pray that we wouldn't uh, make everything just about us, but we want to be a blessing to this person that you're bringing into our life. God, I pray that many marriages uh, would be strengthened here and many new marriages would uh, be birthed through uh, the people in this room, God. Ask all these things in the name of your son. Amen.